There's heaps of benefits to having diversity. If you think about it, you've got a broader range of people in those leadership idea creating positions. You're going to get different perspectives, different ideas, and that's obviously going to lead to innovation. So there's really lots of benefits to increasing diversity. And that's not just gender diversity as well. If you increase ethnic diversity, then you've got a whole new level of perspectives as well. Hi, I'm Alicia Martin, pharmacist at Capital Chemist Waniasa. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. As community pharmacy continues to evolve, it is important to recognise the lead for a leadership that reflects and champions the diversity and inclusivity of our profession. It's well documented that by achieving diversity in the workplace, businesses and professional organisations stand to benefit greatly on many levels. Workplace diversity is a key factor in breaking down the limiting factors of inequality that prevent employees from achieving their full professional potential. Whilst inequality in community pharmacy has lessened over time, there is still more we can do at both the service and leadership levels, representing an exciting time for the industry. Today, our guests discuss their experiences and perspectives on diversity in community pharmacy and unpack some of the key issues that permeate this area. Alicia Martin, Canberra-based pharmacist who recently led a study through University of Canberra on female representation on professional committees, brings a fascinating perspective on historical and future prospects for diversity in pharmacy leadership. We also chat with two Pharmacy Guild National Councillors, Helen O'Byrne and Grace Chong, who provide insight into the barriers facing women in leadership positions and discuss their own experiences in making the transition to leadership roles. We start with Alicia. Alicia, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about what is a fascinating and and significant topic for community pharmacy moving forward, and that is diversity. But before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience firstly as a student and and now as a early career pharmacist? Thanks for having me, Daniel. So at the moment, I'm a community pharmacist working at Capital Chemist in Waniasa. I only got registered this year, so I'm newly a pharmacist. I did my internship at Capital Chemist Waniasa as well. And as I was a student, I was also working there. So I've been there for a little while now. Um, As a student, I studied at the University of Canberra. I did a Bachelor of Pharmacy and I was also involved in the Canberra Student Pharmacy Association as well as the National Australian Pharmacy Students Association. So I had a little bit of experience with leadership roles um, in organisations through my university degree as well. Um, But the main thing is also I did some research while I was at university, which is sort of why I'm here on the podcast um, to talk about that research. Absolutely. And that research is around diversity. And when we talk about gender diversity in community pharmacy, there's often an idea that pharmacy is a female dominated arena. Now, this may be the case on the front lines and at a community engagement level. However, there are many other leadership positions, and you alluded to some of them, that operate on more of the policy and strategic direction of the industry. What are some of these positions, and, and do we see comparable levels of female representation across these areas? In terms of pharmacy as a whole, it is a female-dominated profession. In 2018, there was 
62% of all registered pharmacists in Australia were women, but that's all pharmacists. So you've got community pharmacy, hospital pharmacy, working at the TGA or in government roles. Um, and then we've also got organisations, so the Guild and the PSA and SHPA, and they have that more sort of strategic policy direction. Um, and the thing with my research is it looked at that those organisations and leadership in those organisations. Now, the other thing is you need to consider that each organisation represents a different area of pharmacy. So, for example, hospital pharmacy has an even higher majority of female pharmacists, um, whereas you look at community pharmacy, say, ownership, and it's sort of majority male pharmacists. So there's different sort of things to consider for each organisation as well. But, yeah, as a whole, there's, yeah, various sort of state and territory-based committees and groups, and then there's the national level of all those organisations as well. So there's a really wide range of places where these leadership positions can take hold. Of course. And through your research, you've looked at the levels of women in leadership positions of community pharmacy across a substantial period of time. Can you give us a little bit of a summary on the historical figures of female representation at those higher levels and some of the emerging trends that we're now starting to see in this area? My research actually looked at gender balance in leadership of pharmacy organisations over a 20-year period, so basically everywhere from 1998 to 2018. So it is a really substantial um, amount of data. So we looked at basically any national Australian pharmacy-related organisation, so Guild, PSA, SHPA, PDL, NAPSA, the Pharmacy Board, um, AACP, so a really wide range of different areas of pharmacy. And basically what we found was, I suppose, not surprising that earlier on there was a really, really clear underrepresentation of women um, on a lot of those committees. And then as time progressed, there was improvement. But sort of disappointingly, considering that, as I mentioned earlier, pharmacy is majority female, even now well, at 2018, the latest sort of data point, um, the average representation over all those organisations was sort of 47% women. So there's still an underrepresentation of women in those leadership roles within organisations, even though it has sort of been a female-dominated profession for quite a while now. Um, and the other thing we noticed is sort of particularly at the highest levels. So we looked at committees, but then we also looked at the presidents or the chair or whoever was sort of in charge of each committee. And there was an even sort of lower representation of women in those highest roles. So I guess for the future, it's looking at not just evening out as a general on committees, but also in those top leadership roles, making sure that we can get women up there and doing great things. Well, you mentioned historical underrepresentation and then some shift to it balancing out a little bit more, but there's still underrepresentation at the moment. So we are starting to see, not to the extent that we should, but we are seeing more organisations become aware of their diversity and putting some actions in place to achieve higher female representation at those, not just ownership levels, but also committee and board levels. What do you see as some of the benefits that companies and committees and boards stand to gain when diversifying their leadership? It's not just something that you do for the sake of doing it. It actually benefits you. So there's sort of multiple studies in all sorts of areas, organisations, big companies, um, that essentially anyone that has a more diverse range of people on their board or leadership area 
is more likely to have increased profits. They're more likely to have um, innovative ideas actually go to market. They're more likely to retain staff and be sort of noted as a good place to work. So it's sort of particularly from a pharmacy perspective, because maybe getting an innovative idea to market sounds a bit more corporate. But from a pharmacy perspective, if your pharmacy is really well known for being a great place to work, then you're going to attract better staff and that's just going to sort of continue to benefit you anyway. So even just something as simple as attracting and retaining staff because you've got a good diversity in your leadership team um, is a really great benefit. Um, so in terms of organisations, those getting innovative ideas to market might actually be the kind of thing you're looking for or increasing profits or increasing um, your sort of membership engagement. So there's heaps of benefits to having diversity. Basically, I mean, if you think about it, if you've got a broader range of people in those leadership idea creating positions. You're going to get different perspectives, different ideas, and that's obviously going to lead to innovation. So there's really lots of benefits to increasing diversity. And that's not just gender diversity as well. If you increase ethnic diversity, then you've got a whole new level of perspectives as well. Absolutely. And age diversity as well, I would imagine. That's right. Alicia, your research into female representation on pharmacy professional committees has it's really shone a light on the historical and the contemporary trends of women in leadership positions. And it must have been a fascinating exercise to undertake and really got your brain thinking about what the future holds in this space. So based on the research, what do you anticipate for the future of female representation at those higher industry levels of ownership or committees? Is it a simple fix or are there other factors that might be creating opportunities or obstacles around this issue? Unfortunately, definitely not an easy fix, I don't think. But from my research, there definitely seems to be really positive signs. So, for example, if we're looking at NAPSA, so the students' organisation, they actually had majority female boards and female presidents for the previous three years, so 2018, 17 um, and 16. So they were the sort of the last years in the research. So that was a really positive sign that at least at the student level, women firstly are interested in and engaged in those leadership roles and actually being elected to those positions. But then I guess the question becomes, has that always sort of been the case? So NAPSA historically in the whole period had fairly good female representation. So the question is, do they face barriers reaching leadership positions once they get out of that sort of university bubble and enter the workforce? Because you could argue for students who tend to be younger, they're a lot less likely to be raising children or having other commitments that it might be there's less barriers perceived for them and from people who might be electing those positions um, to them being there. Whereas when you get out into the workforce and other organisations and you've been in there for a little while, then there can be those sort of microaggressions or sort of things where you might not want to pick the female in case she goes off and has a baby or she's already got a baby and you don't want that sort of tricky thing <laughs> but again it's not just women have babies and that affects their potential to be leaders so there's a lot more context to it than that that's just sort of one factor that can affect it but there's so many sort of other factors at play so it's yeah essentially it's positive but the main thing to look at is actually getting women into those roles 
later on into their career as well. Because what we noticed is a lot of people might think, oh, the number of women in pharmacy has been gradually increasing over time. The number of women in leadership will gradually increase over time. We don't have to do anything. For my research, it doesn't really look like that's the case because for more than 10 years, there's been majority female pharmacists, but it's sort of kind of levelled out a bit, I would say, in terms of representation, and we're not even at that average 50% overall the organisations in 2018. It sort of has plateaued, I would say, so I think at this stage, we actually really need to have active engagement in trying to get women into these roles. So whether that's literally just saying, hey, there's this role, we strongly encourage women to apply. That's a really easy thing you can do, pretty basic. Um, or if it's, you know, you've got that choice between a man and a woman and just stopping and thinking and going, they're both really great candidates. How about we pick the woman this time to really give her that chance because there's just so many barriers to women getting those roles. And the more people that get into those roles, the more younger women will see that and go, hey, actually, I could do that. And then it just has a flow on effect. So I think it's just, yeah, looking at it as a really complex issue and just kind of trying to think, is there any even small thing that you can do to help? So, for example, on a sort of community pharmacy level, at my workplace at the moment, we've got two pharmacists. They're both breastfeeding. They've both just had their first baby. It's all very exciting. They've actually been allowed to sort of re-enter the workforce a lot earlier than many people might be able to because at our workplace we'll give them a break to go upstairs and express milk so that they can continue breastfeeding their baby while also returning to the workforce. It's one of those simple things where if you give someone a little quick break in their shift, it's not going to be the end of the world, but it means for them they can come back to the workforce and continue their career while still sort of maintaining breastfeeding and doing what's best for their bubs. So that's a really sort of simple but also really helpful thing that you could do in your business as a community pharmacy or in any sort of role where you've got women who may have been on maternity leave, you want to encourage them to come back, let them know that you support them in doing that. And there's so many positives to that, isn't there? Because that community pharmacist is is there without putting too fine a point on it, as an example of a female that can come back into the workforce and work with a supportive employer and being able to take time off and breastfeed. And they're going to be interacting with new mothers or mothers for the second or third, possibly fourth or more time in their own community and showing them that, yes, it can be done. And then the also the other point I'd love to make is that you made mention of giving the job to the female in this instance instead of the male when they're both great candidates. And and those females would then help pave the way, not just as an example, but by then helping give other females an opportunity in the workplace as well, wouldn't they? That's exactly right. One small thing has a sort of snowball effect where you help one woman improve and get better or get back to the workplace or get that role. And then they're sort of inspired or happy and they then will help the next woman. So it's that flow on effect where you actively do something and then over time it becomes a lot bigger than it was initially. And being a community pharmacist, it would be so much a massive part of your identity and it doesn't just stop because you become a mother. That's exactly right. And I think it's so helpful having mothers in community pharmacy because mothers come into the pharmacy all the time with questions. So if you can get those young mums back in and ready to go they've got you know a patient comes in and says oh my baby's teething what do I do and the pharmacist says oh 
me too. I know exactly how you're feeling. Try this, try that. So it's just really helpful for the, the staff and for the patients and for everyone involved. It's not just about the medical outcome, it's about the empathy as well. That's right. Alicia, congratulations on your research. It is a massively important area for the industry to focus on. That was a great chat. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights around your research on diversity in community pharmacy. Thanks for having me and thanks for getting my research out there even more. I now welcome Helen O'Byrne to the show. Helen, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you give us a little bit of background around your professional journey and some of the roles you're currently working in within community pharmacy? Thanks. Hi, Daniel. I've been a community pharmacy owner for about 25 years, firstly as a sole trader and now in the partnership structure. So I joined my current partnership at Riverside Capital Chemist in 2009. So during my professional journey, I've been a compounding pharmacist. I'm a member of the Naturopaths and Herbalists Association of Australia. And I'm accredited to conduct HMRs or home medicine reviews and I do immunisations. So um, I really enjoy that professional work. I work pretty much full time at the pharmacy, dispensing most of the time but working on medication management and business um, issues the rest of the time. I'm Vice President of the Tasmanian branch of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia and in that role we work really hard on state political advocacy, speaking with politicians and health department officials about issues like practising our full scope of practice, the, introducing the National Immunisation Program into the state uh, say advocating for continuing dispensing, broadening the range of primary health care initiatives through the state and we're often also able to act as advocates for small business um, through advocating for the needs of our members, especially during the pandemic when we've recently had lack of PPE and those sorts of things. Um, it's a really broad day and uh, it's really professionally rewarding and very busy. We've just spoken with Alicia on the show, whose research has really shone a lot on some of the difficulties that women might face when moving from the professional pharmacist level into leadership positions. Now, as someone with firsthand knowledge of that transition, can you tell us a little bit about your experience and what you found difficult or maybe even surprising or exciting about taking on that challenge and making the transition? seen a really fascinating journey. I was approached initially when I first went into ownership, when I bought a pharmacy. I was approached by one of the local older pharmacists who was a member of the guild and he became one of my closest pharmacy mentors and he uh, encouraged me to stand for branch committee. I wouldn't have stepped up otherwise at the time um, unless I'd had a prod like that because like most women in business, I felt too busy. I had a lot of debt and a very small family and even though I felt really passionately about the issues that confronted us, I, couldn't, I just couldn't see a way of making the time. But once I had the prod, um, I decided to explore it, uh, whether I, it was possible and had a chat to my family um, and my mum, who was incredibly supportive, and a couple of other pharmacy colleagues. And 
And they all said, you know, why don't you just have a go, which I did, and I have never regretted that decision. It was definitely challenging at times, but being around the leaders in the industry helped me learn about the committee, uh, the guild, demystifying the processes, learning about corporate government, governance. Um, I was able to travel to Canberra to National Council a few times as a part of the Women and Young Pharmacists Committee and I was introduced to some amazing women leaders there. At that time, there was an inspirational Tasmanian councillor, Judy Liao, who um, was able to encourage me in Tasmania to uh, to step up a bit further on the committee and be a little bit more involved um, and also encouraged me to understand the importance of having a female voice at the table. Uh, at that time, there was very little representation of women at the national council level and um, and there was definite, uh, definitely a recognition of the need for change. As as a sole trader, so when you're in, um, when you own a pharmacy on your own, it's much easier to make the decision to be uh, to step up into one of those roles. But if you in a partnership, I can understand uh, there are a lot more sort of hoops to go through before you can actually make that decision to to step up. And I can see the extra barriers for younger women partners wanting to step up and having to have the confidence to jump through the initial hoop of approaching their business partners even before they then make the next step of standing for elections. So in my case, I had supportive business partners who um, were able to support me through that process, but I can understand that it can be a massive barrier. Helen, that's a great segue into my next question because we've seen that despite high levels of female representation within community pharmacy, there are still low levels in female ownership of community pharmacy. What do you think are some of the challenges that women face when making the transition from pharmacy management to pharmacy ownership? What a complex question that is. There's a mixture of social challenges and organisational challenges from an organisational point of view, I suppose the best way is always to look at where the money flows. We're a very privileged industry and banks lend us money based on the value of our business, not on bricks and mortar. So uh, they take a guarantee over the pharmacy for money, the money they lend us, and they usually lend us about 70% of the value of the business. And so that means that if you want to buy a pharmacy, you have to come up with 30% of the value of the business in cash which is, in my experience, probably pretty unlikely if you're young and um, more unlikely if you're young and female. So um, there has to be other models. So in the group of pharmacies that I'm involved in, it's common for the uh, pharmacists that or owners that have been in business for longer to sort of guarantee the younger pharmacies through. So in a typical story... Uh, you would see maybe uh, an older pharmacist in their 50s who's transitioning to retirement might offer part of their um, partnership to the younger manager and uh, that allows them to come into the partnership without having to have a massive amount of cash and then they can be sort of um, engulfed into the partnership. But, you know, what drives that decision to ask the manager to become a partner can vary really wildly depending on 
who the current partners are, the skill gaps in the workforce and all, all sorts of other factors. But definitely one of the factors is the availability of pharmacists. So you would expect, considering that 80 to 90% of our graduates are female, that you the market is mainly female. So you'd expect that most of the partners entering into partnerships now and over the last five years would be female. So looking at the Guild membership as a guide of ownership, we know that only about 30 to 35% of Guild members are women. So that's, um, but we can't break it down. We don't have the data to break it down into age groups. I've had a bit of a go at that with some of the, um, the statistics that are available through the Guild and they're very wobbly figures because it's not a great sample size. But from what I can see is that the 20 to 34-year-old uh, age group ownership is at about 34%. The 35 to 49 year olds are 36 percent. The 50 to 74 year olds are at about 26 female, and the 75 plus are at 11 percent. So it it is kind of moving in the right direction, but I possibly would have expected it. And look, to be honest, it's not valuable data, and and we need better data. But we would like to see. I would like to see that improving definitely. We know that registered pharmacists, the gender split is 65% uh, female and about 35% male. So there really is a bit of an issue here. I would hope that the traditional uh, kind of reasons of not taking on a woman partner aren't part of that because of her potential need to have a family, for example. Mm. You'd hope that that's being broken down slowly, but really that's only ever going to um, be proven if the data is available. And I'd really like to see data on that, not only on the gender mix of pharmacy ownership, but also the proportion of ownership because we don't know whether women are being invited into partnerships and potentially not being given any more proportion of the pharmacy after they become an owner. So it's possible that women being invited into partnerships with a smaller proportion, and, and look, this could be for all young people, invited into partnerships and given a smaller proportion of ownership and potentially just buying themselves a job. So it's just getting information on, on all of this and maybe trying to encourage some data collection on what's going on. And unfortunately, that's kind of not available. It makes a lot of sense. You make some great points. As you said, it's very complex and we probably need some more data to be able to unpack it and understand it further. And you alluded to it at the start of your answer that the challenges are fueled by both social structures and organizational barriers. As an overall view, do you think it skews one way or the other, or do you think it's about fairly even? I think it's probably fairly even, but I've also got a really strong feeling that we're getting to a critical mass where there's a critical mass of women owners and that they will behave differently in the next five to 10 years and that we really will see some significant inroads into female ownership over that time. We've seen unprecedented changes to the modern workplace within the last six months, particularly, and community pharmacy has been no exception companies have had to pivot very quickly to digital technologies to support the new operating processes that they've needed to put in place. And these are certainly 
having an impact on the ways in which corporate governance is conducted. Do you think there's opportunities here for organizations to use these digital technologies to to start breaking down some of the barriers that may be preventing women from stepping into higher level leadership positions? Oh, definitely. I've uh, experienced that myself from living in a regional town in Tasmania. It's quite difficult at times to get to guild meetings in Hobart. The face-to-face meetings have always felt way more valuable than uh, teleconferencing. And with the introduction of Zoom meetings and, and Teams meetings, that's really been accelerated over the last six months. Uh, I can see that that's really uh, going to benefit people in regional or women in regional and rural communities. We've also experienced that uh, the members of our branch or guild branch who have a young family who live in the regional and rural areas, regardless of whether they are women or men, are just enjoying that ability to be able to stay at home rather than having to travel so far to be involved. It's just, it's been a real game changer, I think. And it really uh, does break down that, that potential or well, some of the potential time barriers or, or those barriers that feel unsurmountable as, uh, when you are stepping into those leadership positions. Where you know the meetings, you have to attend the meetings. They're critically important to be there. But at times you just find such, a, it tears your heart, you know, you just don't want to be away from your family. So I think it's, uh, it is going to be really important that we encourage, uh, you know, it might have to be a combination of face-to-face and, and video conferencing, but it's definitely made a massive uh, difference um, in my life and I think uh, it's going to continue. Speaking of making a difference, you're part of an important group that makes up a relatively low percentage of ownership in community pharmacy. Do you see an opportunity for yourself or other pioneering women in pharmacy leadership roles to to start breaking down or, or break down more some of the misconceptions or difficulties that exist and, and highlight the paths available to women who are keen to move into ownership or leadership or, or board level roles? And following on from that, what advice would you give early career pharmacists who are interested in moving into these positions? But they're really unsure of the processes or the challenges involved in it all? Well, I suppose like anything, it's just fantastic to talk and network. That's the advice. And learning about corporate governance, I think, is great advice for younger pharmacists who are interested in organisations because uh, it's quite foreign when you run a small business to think about corporate governance, but it's really just the same stuff you do every day in your small business, just on a bigger scale. It's just common sense most of the time. And it sounds scary, but uh, it's really important as you move into the leadership roles, I think that you embrace um, that learning around corporate governance. If I'd had my time again, I would have definitely made an effort to educate myself earlier in my career with that. Um, Because I think women feel more intimidated by leadership roles than they should. And uh, often you have to put yourself in in the um, middle-aged white male kind of mentality and go, well, you know, I can, I can get through this, it's easy. But sometimes women just need that education to feel more comfortable in the role. Um, for early career pharmacists, it's great to learn about the profession just the nooks and crannies of the profession, learning how things work, 
uh, being curious and asking questions, um, getting mentors is an, was an absolute must for me. And uh, networking allows you to get mentors, not necessarily one, but several across different areas. And that really helps you to understand the industry and talk to other people about your industry. Even things like reps in, that come into the shop or into the pharmacy, brand managers, um, different pharmacy groups, they all just help to educate you about our wonderful industry. And it just, if, you, if you're interested, the more you learn, you just naturally move into that role. Helen, a very interesting chat, lots of great points. And it's amazing to hear from someone like yourself who has been there, done that, and is now a role model for other women in community pharmacies. So thank you so much for spending some time on the show with us today and sharing your insights on diversity in community pharmacy. Well, thank you, Daniel, for this opportunity. And lastly, and by no means least, I welcome Grace Chong to the show. Grace, thanks very much for joining us today. We've just spoken to some exceptional pharmacists and as a Guild National Counselor and owner of multiple pharmacies, you certainly fit that category as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional role and what you do with the Guild? I own a couple of pharmacies that I work in every day as a pharmacist and as an owner. And I am uh, the vice president on the Victorian branch of the Pharmacy Guild. And in the last um, three years, I've been an elected official as a national councillor on the national board of the Pharmacy Guild. You're obviously well experienced in both the professional service level of pharmacy practice, as well as at the other end of leadership and industry policy. What was your experience in making the career transition to the national council? Did you have any idea what you were getting into or was it just a case of jumping in and sort of going for it and learning as you go? No, I think a big part of it was jumping in and just sink or swim. Uh, I Obviously, you get a taste of what the board level's like sitting on the Victorian branch um, and I had been there for three years prior to um, a second term of three years. Um, so I had a, a pretty sound grounding and a good taste of what board level was like. But going on to the national board, um, that was a whole different level. That was very much, um, wow, the terminology was different, the way that um, the formality of the meetings and how they were run, the speech, that was really different. And, of course, being national, um, you know, it's not a focus on just your state. It's about every pharmacy in Australia and how different each state is. I probably didn't even realise how pharmacy could be different from state to state. You alluded to some of the differences there at, at the board level, but having a perspective on both sides of the industry allows you to compare those different roles that you've undertaken in community pharmacy. What would you say are some of the notable differences that you see in working at the professional service level versus working within those higher level state and national board or committee environments? With working every day as a pharmacist and as a pharmacy owner in particular, you're micromanaging quite a bit of day-to-day stuff. You're very much hands-on. Even if you've got a specific idea, you have to really think about from the beginning to the end of how it's going to get executed and your staff and the patients. Um, whereas transitioning to working at the board level, um, it was very much a macro strategic 
vision, you know, what you want to advocate for the industry or obviously what the board wants to advocate for the industry and not necessarily the nitty gritty of where does that pen go or where do you want that piece of paper to be? You know, it's very much, this is what we want to advocate for. This is our vision. And then the operational staff take over to um, execute, which is very different from the everyday life for me. (laughs) Do you find it difficult to transition from, being an owner and working in your community pharmacies and then maybe putting on a different hat a couple of hours later? Yes, very much so. It's so hard to sort of think, okay, no, I need to think of the broad picture. I need to think about the big picture as opposed to Mrs. Jones, what's this? And, oh, my goodness, I didn't send the order for this or whatnot. Um, sometimes it takes a good, you know, 10, 15 minutes to take the pharmacist hat on and then put the National Guild counsellor head on and and not try and um, bog down your comments or your input at the board level to a lot of that micromanagement stuff. That's something that I've really struggled with initially Um, and I think that's the biggest jump from working at the ground root level and then going to a board level. Well, we've spoken about some of the challenges and obstacles that women face when moving into those higher leadership roles or committees or boards. And these can obviously be quite different to some of the challenges that men may traditionally face. What would you say are some of the more common issues that appear for women when they transition into these positions? And do you think organisations maybe need to think about their accessibility or, or flexibility to achieve gender equity at that level? Absolutely. I think with the COVID-19 situation, it has forced many organisations to have to fast track accessibility and flexibility. So that's been a positive from the terrible situation. But as a woman in leadership, um, of course, like everybody else, your your plate is full between um, pharmacy ownership, family commitments and juggling then on top of that board commitments. Um, and it is a full day. Some some days are fuller than others. Um, and the ex- I think the difference is that if you do have heaps of family commitments, you know, children and whatnot, you don't necessarily do a nine-to-five time slot. Um, and that's where I think the flexibility has to be with organisations. Um, a lot of women can't just lock themselves up to do a two-hour um phone meeting or a video conference or, you know, just fly interstate without having to think of babysitters and all of that kind of thing. So that is um, not to take away that there are many um, dads out there who do a very similar role as well. But traditionally, um, women being the primary caregiver uh, would have that additional barrier, I guess. We've seen that traditionally the higher level leadership positions in community pharmacy have been quite male dominated, but we're also starting to see promising trends of women moving into these areas. And as you mentioned, COVID-19 has certainly accelerated that change. What is your overall advice for particularly young women in pharmacy who are maybe looking to build the bridge between their professional pharmacy career and the opportunities of leadership at the committee and board levels? How can the emerging generation of dedicated and capable women in community pharmacy put their hand up to show that they are ready to take on these positions just like you have? For me, 
my journey was very much something I was interested in, but I didn't know how to actually get my foot in the door. And my biggest step forward was really surrounding myself with a connection of just talking to people, lots of different people. And over the course of the journey, I've managed to cultivate sort of, I say, a panel of mentors. Um, you know, I've got a, a mentor that is specifically um, well-versed in more of the financial stuff. Um, and then I've got people who are uh, very well experienced in governance um, and, you know, everyday practical human resource sort of mentors. Um, I think the best way for young women is to actually set up a little panel of mentors that can give them ideas of how to get started um, and then keeping it real as to what they actually enjoy being involved in um, and as well what time commitments they can allow to dedicate to um, that board level activity. Um, and it doesn't have to be, I found when I first started, I started with just being involved in member services for the Guild, but at a subcommittee level. So nothing, you know, no branch, um, not being an elected official as such, but just working a bit hands-on and providing feedback of um, what I would love to see as a Pharmacy Guild member. Um, and then I did judging for the Student Business Network um, competition and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and I found that that was an investment of time that I could allow, but as well things that I enjoyed that I felt was a foot in um, to get a taste of what these involvement in the industry was like. And I think that's the most important thing to just give it a go, talk to lots of different people um, and then working out what you enjoy um, and then putting your hand up and jumping in and just saying, hey, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll go for it and see how I how I go and I'll learn. There's a huge learning curve, but I'll learn and I'll learn about what governance is like and um, what how I like being a bit more strategic in, in the way that I perform on a board um, and then having some fun along the way. Having mentors and people you can call on seems to be a common theme with diversity and people being able to make those transitions and grow their professionalism. And I particularly love that advice around and the comments around keeping it real and trying some things and seeing what you like before you, you progress down some paths. Grace, great chat and nice to hear your experiences. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your insights on diversity in community pharmacy. Thank you, Daniel. The Pharmacy Guild of Australia recognises that diversity is a matter of good business, good management and good governance. In particular, the Guild recognises the need for diversity in our leadership that's reflective of the diversity of gender, race, ethnicity, age, background and location. We also understand that over recent years, the profession of community pharmacy has undergone demographic shifts with an increasing number of women entering the profession to the extent that now the majority of pharmacy graduates coming out of our universities are women. As such, we believe it's vital for the future of community pharmacy that the Guild's elected leadership reflects the diverse composition of our membership. On that basis, we are asking our members, and in particular our female owners, to get involved in the Guild and provide diversity in our leadership to inform and guide the future of community pharmacy as a sector. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 57 of the PBCM podcast.
the PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.